We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You were physically assaulted by the police yourself. What happened? Yeah, so it was the night when Bob McCulloch announced that Darren Wilson would not be indicted. So I just remember thinking that day, okay, I'm going to be out on the street more more as a medic because I knew that we had a lot of people coming from just around the world that wanted to be here for the announcement that probably had never been tear gassed before. So I had my nurse bag um, and they tear gassed us so much that night. I mean, it was just over. It was just really just crazy. And it got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. So I started to walk away, walk towards my car just to kind of get a, just to take a break. And someone started screaming out, hey, 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 my mom's having a heart attack, help. And I thought it was an ambush. So I just kept walking and I kept hearing people screaming. And then people started saying, nurse, nurse, Corey, you're a nurse. Can you come help? I went to help. Um, I The lady was falling to the ground. I caught her and, and um, helped her to the ground. Her eyes were rolling in the back of her head. Her tongue was hanging out of her mouth. So we picked her body up. We carried this body all the way down through the police lineup. And when we got closer to the police, we're all yelling, she's having a heart attack, she's having a heart attack. And I'm saying, I'm the nurse helping her. Can someone help her? And I'm doing this to her chest. I'm, you know, Lisa, Lisa, stay with me. And the police did this, drop her. And everybody dropped her except me. Next thing I knew, they took me, threw my body in the air. And then I was just stomped by several police officers, several, whoever they were. I don't know if they were guard or police officer. They all had on the same thing. I just was stomped by all of these steel toe boots, you know, like a rag down. Just remember doing this on the ground and thinking, if you don't get up, they will kill you. Cori Bush is an amazing woman. She just won a hotly contested Democratic primary in a Democratic district in Missouri. That means she is going to become a congresswoman and the newest member of the squad because she's extremely progressive. She's also inspiring and shaped by having been homeless, a nurse, a BLM activist in Ferguson, a victim of police brutality, a survivor of COVID, and more and more. Her story is amazing. Her spirit is empowering. I love this conversation. You'll get half of it here. If you want the whole thing, go to patreon.com slash Show. 
All right, let's go. It's Corey Bush on Touré Show. I want to jump in because I'm just so proud of you and what you have accomplished here and not just in winning this election, but thus everything that you have accomplished over the last several years of your life. I mean, you're one of those extraordinary people who we hope would enter, uh, you know, uh, a elected life. Um, so I'm just so happy to meet you and talk to you. I mean, like, you you ran before and you lost, and this time you got it done. So just how does that feel? It, you know, it feels amazing, and I still can't believe it. Like, it's still really, it's still a shock. I'm still trying to, like, you know, soak it all in because we worked hard. We worked so hard just trying to, you know, have a voice and be seen, especially, you know, coming from the standpoint of, the protester, you know, the, the Ferguson activists, you know, that was a whole big deal that um, for somebody else running for office. So it's one thing to run for office. It's another thing to start off with this, um, with, you know, what some people called like this negative, um, you know, I guess stigma against me being this Ferguson activist, because especially, you know, back 2014 through 20, like 20, even 2018, it was like, uh you know, people that burned down buildings, you know, people just didn't really understand what we were doing. Um, take me back to why you were drawn in just sort of to go through the timeline of who you have been over the last several years. Why were you drawn first into the street to protest with Black Lives Matter uh, when Ferguson was really hot? Yeah, you know, um, I just remember seeing scrolling. I was scrolling on social media and I kept seeing the picture of Mike Brown Jr., that picture of him laying in the street, you know, um, you know, on his on his stomach and with his face to the ground. And I remember just I, at first I just kept scrolling past it. I was just like it was just something I didn't want to see, you know. And so I went on about my day and um, and then it just it, it just kept popping up in my feed. And then um later that day when I just saw that people were starting to gather, um, I still didn't move. You know, I didn't even realize that it, it was in my own community until a little later that evening. Um, and I just decided, you know, I felt like I needed to be out there, but I didn't end up going that first day. The next day, um, I couldn't, you know, people were like, oh, no, you can't go out. You know, it's too dangerous, you know. And so the next day I just went on ahead and went out. And what I saw in my own community was something that I never thought I would see. I mean, it was, I grew up like watching uh, civil rights footage, you know. I mean, it was like ingrained in me in school and at home. And so, you know, it just reminded me of like Eyes on the Prize. Like it reminded me of, of so much that I had seen in every book that I had read. And I'm like, this is my neighborhood. Like it was six, you know, it was six minutes from where I lived. You know, the place where I would get my hair done was on one side of the street. The, the place where I would get my nails done on the other side of the street, at least where all the people were congregated. And I saw police in a way I hadn't seen police before. I saw police standing in this line and I saw dogs, you know, and, you know, it was just like, what is happening in my community? Um, and so I felt like, okay, I'm, 
I'm a, I'm clergy. Maybe I can come out and, you know, pray with people, you know, and I'm a nurse so I can be a medic. I can just lend something to this. I didn't know I would end up protesting myself. I just wanted to come out and be a help. But the more I was out there, you know, and just seeing people, innocent people brutalized, seeing, you know, just the, and just feeling the anger and the frustration and, and myself wanting to see justice, like I stayed. And then also my job had me out there doing grief and, and trauma work. Um, so like eight to five every day I was out there in front of, we pitched a tent right in front of where Michael Brown's body was, was, was laying. Um, and I, we had to, yes. And I had to like, that spot was in front of my face all day, every day, but it wasn't worse than the people who lived in that complex. What we were doing was, so we actually went to, we would knock on the doors of the people who lived there because some people just did not. I don't know if, if you remember, because I think you had, Kate, didn't you come? At one I did. Point? I did. Yeah. And so where his body was on one side of the complex, you know, the people that were on the far side didn't want to cross where his body was laying. So people didn't have food, didn't have diapers, formula, you know, toiletries. People were people needed medical care that didn't have it. So we would go and knock on their doors to try and take them whatever whatever they needed and do that trauma work right then and give grief counseling right on the spot. And so it just drew me in even more. Um, I had to just keep going back. You were physically assaulted by the police yeah. yourself. What happened? Yeah, so um, fast forward a few months later, it was the night when um, Bob McCulloch announced that um, Darren Wilson would not be um, indicted. And, oh my gosh. Um, um, so I just remember thinking that day, okay, I'm going to be out on the street more, more as a medic because I knew that we had a lot of people coming from just around the world that wanted to be here for the announcement that probably had never been tear gassed before. So I had my nurse bag, um, and they tear gassed us so much that night. I mean, it was just over, it was just really just crazy. And it got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. So I started to walk away, walk uh, towards my car just to kind of get a, just to take a break. And someone started screaming out, Hey, 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 my mom's having a heart attack. Help. And I thought it was an ambush. So I just kept walking and I kept hearing people screaming. And then people started saying, nurse, nurse, Corey, you're a nurse. Can you come help? I went to help. Um, I the lady was falling to the ground. I caught her and, and um, helped her to the ground. Her eyes were rolling in the back of her head. Her tongue was hanging out of her mouth. Um, by the time I really got to help her. Um, but before that, she told me what her medications were. And so I figured that maybe she's having a heart attack. So we picked her body up. And there were two media outlets, national media outlets. Um, they were uh, broadcasting. It was in the dark. They were broadcasting live. And so we said, well, you know what? The paramedics is behind the police lineup. So if we take the body through the national broadcast, at least if they shoot at us, at least it's on national television. Hmm. So we took the, we carried this body all the way down through the police lineup. Um, and when we arrived, when we got closer to the police, I'm yelling, She's, you know, we're all yelling. She's having a heart attack. She's having a heart attack. And I'm saying, I'm the nurse helping her. Can, can, can someone help her? And I'm doing this to her chest. I'm, you know, Lisa, Lisa, stay with me. And um, the police did this, drop her. And everybody dropped her except me. And, um, and I'm like, no, the, I am the one helping her. I'm the nurse. I need a paramedic. You don't have the skills to help her. Give me a, get me a paramedic. Next thing I knew, they took me, threw my body in the air, 
I just rem- I didn't even know I was in the air. I just remember seeing the stars all of a sudden coming towards my face. And then I realized maybe I'm in the air once I started coming back down and then the, I, my face hit the ground. Um, and then I was just stomped by several police officers, several, whoever they were. I don't know if they were guard or police officers. They all had on the same thing. I just was stomped by all of these steel toe boots, you know, like a rag doll. I just remember doing this on the ground and thinking, if you don't get up, they will kill you. You know, and um, I jumped up. I, got, I was able to get up. But when I got up, my face mask came, had fallen down. And so they had tear gassed me and the woman. So when I got up, I took in all of this tear gas. I, and I couldn't breathe and I started to collapse and they put the gun to my head, you know, arrest her, arrest her. They didn't believe that, you know, I kept saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I have asthma. I can't breathe. And they're like, no, she's lying. Put the gun to my face, tried to arrest me. And then I passed out. Um, and it took a paramedic. I woke up on the floor of the uh, Ferguson fire department on the floor uh, with the gun to my head and the paramedics working on me. Um, and it took the paramedic when I came to, it took the paramedic to knock the gun off of my head. And he said, see, I told you she's not lying. Um, so, you know, um, that was a really ugly night. What happened to your patient? We don't know. I just remember she was tear gassed next to me. I haven't heard or seen of her since. We don't know. I tried to find her. I, I, I mean, that's it, that's an incredible story and yeah. relates to so much of what I and so many of us have been saying that so often the police are the problem. They are the ones creating the violence and moments that we don't need to. Um, I want to talk about why you chose to run for Congress, but I need to leap to let's talk about your ideas around policing reform. Because I'm sure you had thoughts about that before this happened to you, and now it's even personal. Are you an abolitionist? So I'm, you know, for me, I'm kind of in between because I feel like um, should we get there? Yes. Um, But I think that we have a lot of work to do to be able to get there because we also want to to make sure that we, yes, because we have to make sure that we are treating people. Uh, We have to make sure that there is real treatment, that there is real rehab, that there are real services for people, Um, because I don't believe anyone personally should be in a cage. I just don't. Um, And and someone who personally has been a victim of violence, you know, um, you know, I I still just don't believe that that that's where that we have to be at that place. Um, And um, so but right now, you know, I've been definitely someone who's been pushing defund. And um, that's something that I will push in Congress and um, also uh, police demilitarization, um, you know, standing with some of the legislation that's already that's already been introduced, um, you know, like racial profiling act. And um, and, you know, um, I am one for. You know, I know the Democrats, you know, they have the new bill and, you know, everybody's proud of it. Uh, I do believe in there being a police, being a registry for police, you know, um, as it relates to misconduct and and all of that. But I believe that the general public should have should be able to see that. You know, I think that just having police departments and those that are ready to hire, seeing that um, I think that that um, that doesn't hold them accountable enough. And I also think that there has to be over some type of oversight 
to make sure that that information is being if information is going into the database because what good is the registry if if you know nobody's making sure that this police department is actually you know inputting the information um so i think we have to do some more work in that area um i we have to shut down these debtors prisons st louis is just you know i remember at the t- at at the time in 2014 i remember thinking to myself I am only six minutes away, but I have to cross three municipalities to get to Ferguson. And so if I had a broken taillight at any point in time, I could get stopped by three different police, uh, three different police departments and have tickets in all three. And you know what that does? You know, we don't have the money to be able to continue to pay all of these tickets and still get the taillight fixed. And, you know, and what if we have end up with a warrant? You know, it's, you know, so anyway, so uh, dealing with that, ending mass incarceration in a real way, but also having real, for starting off with real recidivism programs. I feel like that don't talk to me about a recidivism program that does not start with one, making sure that we are connecting people to those family members before they are released from, from prison. Because I have had so many patients working in mental health, patients who um, would come to me, they had to see our clinic within 30 days, but they would come to us and they would, by the time they would get to me, they're saying, nurse, I want to go back. I'm going to do something so that I can go back because, my, you know, it's too fast. Um, my family doesn't, won't talk to me. My kids are, you know, my kids, you know, they won't listen to me. They don't, they don't want to know me. My spouse, you know, won't pay me any attention. Like nobody, nobody wants me and I can't get a job. You know, how does that make them feel? You know, and they learned the skill in prison, but then they can't use it once they come home, you know, so building those relationships. I'll tell you one thing that broke me one day. I had a patient who was sitting in the waiting area, waiting to see the doctor, and his child gave him a phone. Now, his child was trying to mend this relationship and gave him a cell phone. He was holding the cell phone in his hand. He was shaking. And so I noticed him from my office. And so I walked out. I said, hey, what's up? What what are you doing? And he said, my child gave me this cell phone. And he said, I want to go back. I said, what do you mean you want to go back? What does it have to do with a cell phone? And he said, I can't, I don't even know how to use this. My child gave it to me and I can't even figure out how to answer the phone. And I don't even want her to know. He was just shaking, you know, and it's just like, it's simple things like that. We have to do things to help acclimate our folks right back into society and see them as members of society, uh, you know, and set them up for that. Start them off in, in prison until we can get that stuff closed down, until we can fix it better right now with what we have put Make sure that our HBCUs, like they're, you know, our HBCUs have those, um, especially our HBCUs, let's, let's give them money to put programs inside of prisons where we can, you know, where people can get their certifications or even get degrees. And, you know, our HBCUs need money, you know, so let's make sure that that's one way that they can do it and we can start turning out more people, you know, when they um, come out of prison. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. 
Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Um, one of the things you talked about there was for po- for profit policing and the way that the police yes. prey on regular folks who are not criminals who have small things a parking yes. ticket a broken taillight little things and yes. use that to extract 200 300 500 from regular folks all the time yes. because we don't have the political power to fight back against such things and it's just so tragic to see the way the system uses its power to claw money out of poor people. And yes, it would just love to see some way of reforming just even that level of the system, because you're not actually protecting and serving. You're not making the community no. any safer by, you know, by, by, by making my traffic ticket into a $500 albatross or making my broken taillight into a $500 thing where I had to go to prison for a couple hours and then pay the bail. And like, you know, these people are not criminals. You weren't a criminal when this is that, you know, when right. I, I've had a taillight out, I'm not a criminal. I didn't even know. Or I didn't have right. $200 to get it fixed. How can we do something about that? You know, I think one thing is making sure that we are very, continue to be very clear about what that message is and what it has done to so many people. Um, and I know that there are groups and organizations there um, that have been doing this work for several years, um, but we're, but if, if there is, for some reason, 
people are doing the work, but then when it gets to places where legislation can be passed, it's like it stops. Um, so that's where I feel I come in at. And then other people that um, are trying to, that I'm hoping make it into Congress as well. And even talking with the squad about, you know, making sure, um, what can we do uh, now that we have pens, now that we have a pen in our hand to be able to propose, you know, legislation. Uh, and so, and, and on the federal level, how that affects the state level, because I know that is a, that is another part of the fight. You know, I know in Missouri, you know, we are fighting our state legislature because, you know, they, we have a Republican state legislature and they are always fighting St. Louis, you know, Missouri is fighting St. Louis all the time. You know, um, I think about just in, I think, I believe it was 2015, 70% of the dry of the drivers pulled over in the state of Missouri were black. Um, and, uh, we thought, you know, you would, after Mike Brown and after we did all of that work and everything that you would think that the numbers was, and we started this work, you know, uh, you would think that the numbers would start to go down, but I believe just re- the, the latest numbers that came out had us at like 95%, you know, so it, the number didn't go down. The number went up. More black people, even more, are being pulled over by police in this state, even though we are a small percentage of the population. Um, and so we have to. So um, not only working on our uh, on the federal level. So we are going to we're going to get in. We're going to get in that. And I'm going to work with other groups like Movement for Black Lives and so many other groups trying to make sure that we can get this work done and make make real legislation that real people can feel. But the other thing is using the influence that we have on our state on the state level to galvanize people and to try to get that, get that work done. And where we cannot, we need to start putting people in place to run for those seats. You know, for a lot of black folks and a lot of activists, the political system itself seems too slow, too incrementalist. They don't even believe that it works. So why did you think that Congress uh, was even the place for you to be able to make change? Yeah. And you know what? I always said I would never, ever run for Congress. I mean, run for office. Like I use those words because my dad's been in politics for most of my life and I saw such a good person give his soul. And then he just received so many like darts and it was just back at him and so much hurt came towards him. And I'm like, why would you do this? You know, but, um, you know, I, I just being out there on the ground during Ferguson and seeing regular everyday people give their soul give their, you know, put their lives and livelihood on the line and, you know, not getting anything like directly in return other than hoping to see justice. But our congressperson who had the power of a pen, had the power of media in his hands, who only showed up for a photo that I can remember out of more more than 400 days one time, you know, this is the same person who two months before Michael Brown was murdered in June of 2014, he could have voted to demilitarize the police, but instead he stood with the Republicans and voted to support police militarization, where two months later, what did we see? That militarized force on the ground in Ferguson and then throughout the country. Um, so that's why people from the community asked me to run. And I said, I, I said, no, you know, but then when I thought about it, how do we get the change? How do we get the people that were on the ground putting them putting themselves on the line? How do we get that heart and that love of community and love of black folks? How do we get that into these seats? 
we have to run. And so I finally said yes. And it was, a, and I'll tell you, it wasn't an easy thing because I'm thinking I'm a black woman. I would be running against a black man. And I, I felt like I would spend so much time getting people to understand that why I was running, that is deeper than color and, and, and who in and, and a face that it's about actually changing lives and save, saving lives. You know, that we can't live this way anymore. We are surviving St. Louis all the time, you know, and we, when do we get to the place of living it? Like, I want to live and thrive here. One, I mean, Congress at this moment, especially, seems so broken, you know, and mm. it's so hard to get anything done in the House of Representatives, much less to get anything through Mitch McConnell's Senate. <laughs> do you, do you yeah. fear that the good work that you want to do will be? thwarted by just the brokenness of the institution itself. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that, you know, for one, uh, you know, there will be a few more of us going in at the same time to add to the squad. Um, So that's one part. The other part is I'm really hoping that we flip the Senate. You know, I know that it's possible. It's very possible. possible. And um, so that's where a focus of mine is. And if we can flip the Senate, then we can really get start to get some work done. I know that that stack that is on Mitch McConnell's desk of a bunch of, uh, you know, all this great legislation sitting on his desk. You know, um, I just uh, just me just every time I imagine like what it will be like to actually get that stuff signed. You know, we have a different president. We have a different uh, we we flip the Senate, you know, so that's what my hope is. But if we don't get there. You know, then I'm just going to do what I've been doing, the same energy, the same energy that I've had out there on the ground fighting during, in, in Ferguson, you know, against rubber bullets and, you know, and all the tear gas, the real bullets, you know, the dogs and everything else that we fought out there, the bear spray that they're using now, you mm. know, all of that, the same energy that I had then after the Jason Stockley ver- verdict in 28, 2017, and then now with the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests, that same energy the same energy that I, where I got up after having dealing with the COVID-19 struggle that I had for two months and I got right back up and came and continued on in my race, that same energy in 2018, when I was hit by a car, T-boned a couple months before my election, before my primary, and I got back up and continued my race, that same energy is what I'm taking to Congress. You have been through, you've been through it. (laughs) I mean, it (laughs) seems like God has thrown everything possible at you. Um, Talk a little bit about your COVID experience, because some people have it and they say, you know, I just had to rest and I was fine. Another friend of mine was like, you know, it would strangle me in the throat and then it would leave me alone. Then it would strangle me in the chest and then it would leave me alone. And then my thighs, I couldn't live. And, and, you know, so some people are going through hell and some people are like, yeah, it was a bad cold and I was fine. Like, where was the experience for you? Yeah, I I didn't get the I was I just needed to rest or I just had a bad cold. So I've had pneumonia before in my life. I've had the flu before in my life. It was nothing like either one of those. It was way worse. Um, and you know my test came back negative, but maybe I tested too soon. But my I had all the symptoms of COVID nineteen, and I could not breathe. And when I, I mean, the, I, every second of every day trying to breathe, it was like, <laughs> like, that's how I was breathing because it was like, I couldn't get a full, I couldn't breathe like fully on my own, you know, just without thinking. And, um, 
you know, I was so weak that the phone, the cell phone would be next to me and I would try to reach it, but I couldn't even move. You know, my muscles ached so bad. My head was hurting. My throat was, my throat was hurting so bad. I couldn't taste anything. I was dizzy. You know, it was just, I was so weak. I couldn't even really walk to the bathroom sometimes. I was hospitalized twice. You know, it was really scary. And the thing was, after it took 10 days before I started to feel some relief. And um, I started to feel a little relief. And it was only for a couple of days. And then after those two days, it would hit me all over again like a train. And then it would go for about four or five. And then it would let up for a day. And then it would hit me again. It like played with me for two full months. I was in the bed for two months and still trying to run a campaign because I would still hop on a live stream, you know, and I'm like, you know, it was, it was really, it was, it was, it was horrifying. I don't wish it on anyone. It was a traumatic experience. And you're a mother of two. Yes. I have a 19 year old and a 20 year old. Oh God. I mean, I can't, I mean, you, you, how do you mother when you can barely breathe. Yeah, I couldn't. My children, they couldn't be with me. Um, my son right. would try to come by my house every couple of days. Him and my dad, they would come and bring groceries, you know, and try to do little things to help. But I wanted them away because I just couldn't risk my son or my daughter getting sick. So they could not come to my home other than just to stop by to drop something at the door. You know, I, you know, it's always hard because I couldn't mother. But my dad kicked in really hard. My mom kicked in. My sister, you know, my family was right there because and then my family, one of my family members, we ended up sick. So then we had to take care of both of us. So, um, you know, my dad was being super dad. Uh, it was, um, you know, but we got through it. Look, this is what we do. And the thing is, me not being able to breathe for that time, you know, I, all I kept thinking when people were like, oh, you need to suspend, you need to, you need to jump out of the race because, you know, you're not getting better. My, my mind was saying, I can't breathe right now and it's temporary. But what about the people who can't breathe all the time? They don't have the money for their medications and, and they can't so they can't breathe. Uh, the, the pandemic that we have of police brutality and, 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 all, and excessive force in our communities that we can't breathe. We, we can breathe before we won't be able to breathe after COVID-19. People with, that, that are uh, living off of starvation wages can't breathe. You know, um, I, so I can take this temporarily to be and come out of this and be able to help other people so that we can all breathe and have a quality of life. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. 
Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. As a, as a progressive, I am thrilled to see the squad growing. I'm thrilled to see more progressives in elected yes. office. I hope you guys can yes. drag the Democratic Party more to the left. Um, yes. Let's talk about legislation. What dream legislation do you have in mind that you want to propose and try to get passed? So I have several pieces that are already in the works, I'll say. I mean, that are already there that I just want to get passed. So, of course, I'm a nurse. So Medicare for All is a huge deal for me. I've seen my patients die, you know, I, um, you know, and they didn't deserve to die. Nobody asked for diabetes. Nobody asked for, you know, um, high blood pressure. Um, kidney disease. So, so and, you would, so you would have automatic Medicare for every American, free, every, paid by like how? What, what would what would it look like in your mind? Yeah. So um, what it would be is regardless of your socioeconomic background, uh, gender identity, uh, you know, uh, uh, any underlying um, uh, issues no matter what, you would be covered, regardless of your age, you would be covered. And what that is, is um, first of all, because healthcare is a human right, um, but it would cover, it would be free at the point of care. It would cover not only medical, it would cover dental, vision, hearing, um, maternity care, reproductive care, um, home care, inpatient and outpatient services, you know, and, and more. It would cover all of those things. And it will also help out our small businesses because now our small businesses don't have to pay into healthcare, so now they can increase the wage for our, and and increase the benefits. Paid leave comes into play, and so many other benefits. Um, also, we can get away from having uh, people go. You show up to the doctor's office, and you get to see the doctor for three minutes you know, or five minutes. Now the doctor has more time to spend in the room with you because. The other thing is the nurse doesn't have to spend so much time making phone calls to say, hey, can Jimmy get this test? Can Jimmy have this procedure done on hold for an hour? I've been that person on hold for an hour and a half for one patient over and over and over all day. It takes people away. Now we get to have actual care. And that transition period going from 65 and bringing the numbers all the way down to where in five years everybody, is, everybody has Medicare for all, that transition period doesn't leave anybody out it makes sure that those people that are working for those companies um, that um, are affected, those companies that would be closing, that they have other, that they're trained and put into other positions, that money so you, is readily available. So it would eliminate the insurance industry. It would. It, it would eliminate those companies. If there would, you know, like it, there wouldn't be that um, power to be able to, um, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to compete. It would do you need to raise taxes to make this happen? So what's going to happen is there will be taxes will be raised, but the taxes that will be raised. So it, and it's based upon um, how much you make. But this is but this is the thing. If um, let's say for me, 
I paid uh, almost not I paid like eight hundred and seventy something dollars a month um, for my health insurance um, premium. I also still had to pay copays, prescriptions, all of that. My deductible every year was four hundred four thousand six hundred and fifty dollars. So if I don't have to pay that eight hundred and something dollars every single month, if that goes away, if my copays go away, if my prescription costs go away, that extra two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or whatever it is where my taxes go up is still way less than what I would have had to pay if I would have been paying into insurance. So mm-hmm. yes, it's going to go up a little, but it's not going to go up where it's going to be more than what you were already paying in the healthcare. Real, it's going to be significantly less. The real expenditure that each person has on healthcare would go down, even though you would you'd, you have to pay for it somewhere, but what you actually are paying would go down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you get all of those other services because, you know, sometimes people have medical and dental, but they don't have vision or they have vision, but they don't have dental. You know, it takes care of everything. Okay, I interrupted you to go deeper on that. So that's one dream piece of legislation. What else? Uh, So definitely the Green New Deal, but one P and $15 an hour minimum wage. We have to pull our people out of poverty and not that $15 is going to give anybody the world, but it's better than what we have right now. So a starting at $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, <clears throat> but I, you know, I, I have to connect that to free, free uh, college for our public colleges, universities, and trade schools, because that burden of student debt, we have to cancel all student debt. When I think about just, um, even black women in our communities. And I think about if you have, if you're already working, you already have wage inequality. So I'm, so you're making 61 cents on the dollar. You went to college and you have this student, you have this student debt. Black women carry more student debt than anyone. Women carry the most, but black women more than anyone. So now you have this student debt. It's taking you longer to pay it back. Um, so if we take out, if we, if we, um, give a decent wage. If we remove uh, student debt and if we give you the ability to be able to go to college for free, that will help pull so many of us out of a place of poverty or, and closes that um, racial wage gap. Totally. Thanks so much to Corey for a great interview. If you want to hear more from me and Corey, join us at patreon.com slash show. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, and Kathy F. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.
We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.